It isn't the oldest one or the largest one in America, but the awesome one here in Chicago does have a fascinating history. Today we're discussing the Lincoln Park Zoo. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. One of Chicago's biggest attractions, the Lincoln Park Zoo, had some pretty humble beginnings. For those of you who listened to the episode called Chicago's Ghoulish Past from October of 2020, this may sound familiar. From the 1840s until its last burial in 1866, the land now known as Lincoln Park was the Chicago City Cemetery, an area which at the time was considered North Chicago. By the late 1850s, the city had started pushing up to the edge of the cemetery at North Avenue because of the shoddy burial practices of the many who were buried there after dying of cholera. There were concerns that diseases would leach into the drinking water of the city. According to the newspapers of the day, many bodies were not properly buried and there was a putrefying stench in the area. Those buried at the city cemetery included the indigent, as well as Confederate Civil War prisoners who died while held at Camp Douglas, discussed in episode 423. Calls were made to have those bodies relocated to more, quote, rural cemeteries, like Rose Hill and Graceland Cemetery. For those of you not familiar with the area, Graceland Cemetery is about a half mile north of Wrigley Field. After the area was cleaned up and set to become land everyone could enjoy, the Chicago's Common Council held a design competition for the new park, selecting a local landscaper and handyman named Swaim Nelson to create the design. Once the graves were relocated, well, at least many of them, work began on the 60-acre park. The park area, by the way, was originally called Lake Park and was renamed for President Abraham Lincoln after his assassination. The August 27, 1868 Chicago Evening Post carried the following news item. Two pair of handsome Hamburg swans have been presented to the city for Lincoln Park by the Commissioner of Central Park, New York, and will form a great attraction in that beautiful resort. They were donated at the request of O.B. Green, Esquire. And with that, the Lincoln Park Zoo was well on its way. There was plenty of work to be done on the grounds, as much of it was pretty swampy, but it gradually came together. I'm not sure why, but I had this image of a bajillion trucks pulling up to the zoo day after day until the zoo was packed with all kinds of amazing creatures, ready to educate and entertain visitors. That is not how things happened at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Acquiring animals for zoos was not an easy process in the 1800s. Many animals were kept in private menageries or in people's homes. Even five years later, in July of 1873, an official inventory of the animals at the zoo showed, and I'll read this quickly, 
two bison, four guinea pigs, three foxes, two rabbits, one bear, five deer, 13 swans, four eagles, eight peacocks, one owl, two elk, two prairie dogs, three wolves, one catamount, that's a puma, two squirrels, 12 ducks, six wild geese, two turtle doves, and two china geese. That was the whole assortment five years in. Yikes. There were other opportunities to purchase animals, but often those willing to sell the animals asked too high a price. Another issue was space. The zoo at the time was an odd assortment of cages that were ill-equipped to house the animals. One other thing I read over and over was how animals at zoos, not just the one in Lincoln Park, had a high mortality rate because of improper and unsafe shelters, and because zoos didn't know how to feed and care for the animals. Malnutrition was a frequent cause of death in zoo creatures. Stepping back a moment, it is pretty cool that the Lincoln Park Zoo had a bison as part of the assortment. At the same time, the population of bison herds in the U.S. was dropping dramatically. Estimates show that between 1872 and 1874, about 6.3 million bison had been destroyed. Although bisons had all but disappeared by the 1880s, in 1884, the Lincoln Park Zoo welcomed a baby bison calf, also known as a red dog, owing to their reddish-brown fur at birth. The more you know. Realizing zoos could be more integral in helping restore endangered species raised in captivity back to their natural homes in the wild, in the late 1890s, the government purchased one male bison and six female bisons with a plan to send them to Yellowstone Park to help restore the herd there. Fortunately, more than 120 years later, there are nearly 5,000 bison at Yellowstone Park, allowing plenty of opportunities for silly tourists to get too close to the animals while trying to take selfies, getting gored in the process. Just Google Bison Gores Tourist. By the way, the tourists lived. In 1888, the Barnum and Bailey Circus came to town, so park commissioners took the opportunity to ask the circus to donate an elephant to the zoo. Fearing this would set a precedent that other zoos would then ask for donations, they settled on a purchase price of $3,000 for the first elephant in the zoo's history, along with one camel, two leopards, one Bengal tiger, one lioness, one zebu, that's a sacred bull, one llama, and one ibex. The elephant, which the circus had been calling Dutch, was actually female, so the zoo renamed her Duchess. At 8 a.m. on October 18, 1892, while Duchess was being moved by staff, she broke loose, tearing across the park and heading south on Clark Street to Wisconsin, then Sedgwick, quote, tramping down shrubbery and causing people to flee in every direction, end quote. The elephant smashed into a milk wagon, reducing it to splinters, killing the horse and severely injuring the driver. The elephant's keepers were finally able to throw some cables over the animal, which they then fastened to nearby trees. The elephant finally calmed down enough to be returned to the zoo.
More animals were added in 1894, thanks to a loan from a traveling circus that came through town. Three years later, the zoo purchased part of the collection, which included two bears, two peafowl, one kangaroo, one condor, and a cashmere goat for $275, approximately $9,600 in today's money. We'll be right back. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Keep in mind, this was long before the internet, TV, or even picture books. Zoos were the first opportunity most Americans had to see these wondrous animals. In the list I rattled off a moment ago, I mentioned prairie dogs, which probably don't seem super exciting to kids today, but back in 1894, I bet they were mind-blowing. As the zoo grew in popularity and in size, new enclosures and double wire fences were built, not only to give the animals some privacy and sense of security, but to keep visitors from feeding the animals. The zoo's director at the time was quoted as saying, The buffalo and deer are so full of popcorn and candy all the time that when we go to feed them, they aren't hungry. The visitors keep them stuffed and it isn't good for their little insides. Speaking of zoo directors, one of the more colorful zoo directors was Cyrus DeVry. Born in Pennsylvania, he came to Chicago to attend the funeral of his uncle Herman DeVry, who was the superintendent of Lincoln Park from 1883 to 1887. With his trademark cigar and tiger tooth watch fob, that's a look, Cy, as his friends called him, quickly worked his way up the ranks at the zoo. Cyrus DeVry helped design new buildings, instituted updated procedures that provided for better care for the animals, and wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. One story has him entering a cage with a whip and a club to separate two fighting hyenas. During an event in the cage of a brown bear, DeVry's right leg was severely injured, and a Nubian lion named Leo once grabbed Sai's hand and bit off the tip of a finger. Then, as it is now, there were some that felt zoos were not good places. In the book The Ark in the Park, the story of the Lincoln Park Zoo, link in the show's notes, there is a quote from 1903 from Mrs. Herman J. Hall, a leader in the Municipal Art League. Mrs. Hall gave a speech before the League of Cook County Club in which she said, quote, We should abolish the menagerie in the parks. They're cruel things. If we must see wild animals for the sake of natural history, let us have them stuffed or painted on the wall, end quote. Also in 1903, a sea lion named Big Ben was able to escape his enclosure and make his way to Lake Michigan. 
while there were repeated sightings of Big Ben and a $25 reward offered for his safe return, he eluded capture. In April of 1904, after a year on the run, Ben's body was found on the shores of Lake Michigan near Bridgman, Michigan. In 1912, the Lion House was built at a cost of $160,000. That's nearly $4.8 million adjusted for inflation. Intended to be a much larger version of the London Zoo's Lion House, it was designed by the architectural firm of Perkins, Fellows, and Hamilton. Oh, also of note that is not animal-related, there is a burr oak tree at Lincoln Park Zoo which dates its existence to 1830. That's three years before the city was even founded. History! The Lincoln Park Aquarium and Fish Hatchery opened to the public on Memorial Day, May 31st, 1923. It was, at the time, the largest freshwater aquarium in the world. Crowds are so excited about this new attraction, then only one of seven public aquariums in the United States that they began gathering long before it was ready to open. The aquarium director, Floyd S. Young, decided to open the facility 10 days early, even though the facility only had a few fish. And because Illinois... The opening had been delayed for a few reasons, most notably due to a railroad company that was to have shipped some fish from the state hatchery in Springfield that misplaced the boxcar in which the fish were being sent. The boxcar sat unattended for over a week, and all the fish died. When completed and fully stocked with live fish, 78 varieties of fish, 36 varieties of reptiles, 30 species of amphibians, and 18 types of invertebrates were exhibited. I didn't know much about Floyd S. Young, the aquarium director, but it turns out he had been hired in 1914 to manage the private aquarium at the Rothschild and Company's downtown department store. The department store aquarium had over 4,000 specimens, including more varieties of tropical fish than any other private aquarium in the United States. Did I mention this was in a department store? When Young became the director at the Lincoln Park Aquarium, he convinced his former employers to donate their collection to the zoo's tropical exhibit, which opened in December of 1924. The 1930s were not an easy time for the Lincoln Park Zoo with the Great Depression weighing on many families. Expenses at the zoo were also of concern. The 1934 budget for food for the animals was $13,000, a little more than $280,000 in today's money. To cover the 1,000 pounds of grapes, 50 tons of beef, 33 bushels of sweet potatoes, 50,000 loaves of bread, 22 tons of bananas, and 21 tons of fish needed to feed the animals for the year. There was talk of shutting down the zoo, having the employees take steep pay cuts, and more. As the zoo continued to be free, visitors continued to come out, especially when there was an event. It had always been difficult to gauge attendance, as the zoo at the time was not enclosed. But on July 31st, 1934, 
park administrators hired a group of Illinois emergency relief workers to take the first official headcount since the zoo opened in 1868. Even on an ordinary Tuesday, 101,181 people visited the zoo. One of the most popular animals of all time at the Lincoln Park Zoo was Bushman, a gorilla. Brought to the zoo in 1930 when he was approximately two years old, he weighed just 28 pounds. As he grew, he became more popular, so popular that a metal chair with a scale was installed in his enclosure so people could see how much he weighed when he sat in the chair. When fully grown, Bushman was six foot two and weighed 550 pounds. In June of 1950, Bushman became ill. Not a young gorilla. At that point, he was over 20 years old. He suffered from arthritis, heart disease, and other issues of aging. As he became more sick, he lost a reported 120 pounds, more than one-fifth of his regular body weight. One zoo official said at the time, quote, He's worth more to us than soldiers field. Yes, he called it soldiers. If he dies, it will make a lot of youngsters mighty sad. Hearing of Bushman's ill health, Chicagoans turned out to see him, fearing it might be their last opportunity to do so. A record crowd of 120,000 people showed up on a Sunday cheering for Bushman. Ever the entertainer, he rallied for his fans. Sadly, Bushman's time ended on January 1st, 1951, when he was found motionless in his cage, dead of a heart attack. He was 22. So moved by the passing of Bushman, thousands of mourners brought flowers to leave at his empty exhibit. An autopsy was performed on Bushman the following day by doctors from the University of Chicago at the Chicago Natural History Museum, better known as the Field Museum. Lincoln Park Zoo director Marlon Perkins said that Bushman's body would be mounted and placed on display at the museum. On December 6, 1951, after extensive work by staff taxidermist Leon L. Walters and Frank C. Wonder and a sculptor named Joseph B. Kristalich, Bushman was put on display at the Field Museum where he remains today. If the name Marlon Perkins jumped out at any of you of a certain age, yes, it is the same Marlon Perkins from TV's Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom. Missouri-born Perkins started his zoo career at the St. Louis Zoological Park, eventually getting hired as director at the Lincoln Park Zoo, a role he served from 1944 until 1962. While director of the Lincoln Park Zoo, Marlon Perkins joined Sir Edmund Hillary as the zoologist for Hillary's 1960 Himalayan expedition to search for the legendary Yeti. Perkins also hosted a show called Zoo Parade that was on TV from 1950 to 1957, Sunday afternoons on NBC. The show featured animals from the Lincoln Park Zoo. Perkins had already left Chicago when he was hired to host Wild Kingdom, a gig he kept from 1963 to 1985. Another memorable attraction at the zoo, the Viking ship. It's true. 
from 1920 until a zoo expansion in 1994, the 1893 World's Fair Viking ship, measuring 76 and a half feet long and 17 and a half feet wide, was located at the zoo. The ship was a replica of a longship unearthed in Norway in 1880 and built for display at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition. There really is so much I have to skip over to avoid this being a four-hour episode, but I must mention that in 1947, the zoo hired its first part-time veterinarian, a man named Lester E. Fisher. When Marlon Perkins left the Lincoln Park Zoo in 1962, it was Lester Fisher who took over the role of zoo director, where he stayed until his retirement in 1992. If you were or are an animal nerd of a certain age, you'll remember Fisher's many appearances on shows like Bozo Circus, The Ray Rayner Show, and Zoo Parade, almost always with fun animals in tow. If ever there was a hometown zoo rock star, it was Lester Fisher. In 1995, under agreement with the Chicago Park District, the Lincoln Park Zoological Society took over zoo management. Through the years, many changes and updates have been made at the zoo, adding exhibits like the Walter Family Arctic Tundra for polar bears, the Regenstein African Journey, a 60,000-square-foot indoor and outdoor spot that simulates four distinct habitats from the African continent, the 29,900-square-foot Regenstein Center for African Apes, the Regenstein Macaque Forest, the Kovlar Seal Pool, the Small Mammal Reptile House, the Helen Brock Primate House, and many others. In 2016, the Lincoln Park Zoo initiated the Pride of Chicago Capital campaign, raising $143 million for more than 700 contributors. According to the zoo's website, quote, Lincoln Park Zoo applied scientific expertise using the zoo's exclusive work in conservation and animal welfare research to design and construct buildings, habitats, and spaces. The influx of cash allowed the zoo's officials to create new exhibits and revamp some old ones, including the beloved Kovlar Lion House. With advances in our understanding of the animal's needs, buildings that were functional in 1912 and, in the case of the Lion House, last renovated in 1985, may not still be the best option now. Upgrades were needed. More from the website. The $35 million renovation includes a state-of-the-art habitat for a pride of lions, including potential future offspring. For the last few years, the zoo's animal welfare scientists have been monitoring the current lion pride's behavior, habitat use, and preferences using the Lincoln Park Zoo-created app Zoo Monitor. Data collected has been used to design and create a scientifically driven habitat with animal welfare at the forefront. The new design of the Lion House will accommodate various needs and preferences determined by the lions themselves. With these new features, the lion habitat will span the full northern side of the building. The savanna-style habitat 
will include intricate rockwork to increase vertical complexity and environmental options to the lions while providing embedded heating and cooling elements for a climate-controlled habitat. Tree structures and deadfall will be made from Forest Stewardship Council certified trees and a food zipline simulating prey will be installed for lion feeding as an enrichment opportunity. In order for the construction to take place, the existing lions, a nine-year-old male named Sahar and five-year-old sisters Zalika and Kamali, were moved to Rolling Hill Zoo in Salina, Kansas. When the renamed Pepper Family Wildlife Center opened to the public once again in October 2021, it was with new lions, one male and three females. The landmark 1912 building is still there. By the way, the Lincoln Park Zoo is privately run by the Lincoln Park Zoological Society, a not-for-profit. The land on which the zoo resides is Chicago Park District land, and the buildings are owned by the Chicago Park District as well. Through gradual expansion, Lincoln Park developed from its original 60 acres in the 1860s to 1,208 acres in 1957, the size it remains today. The Lincoln Park Zoo covers 35 of those acres filled with roughly 1,100 animals across 200 species. In the spring of 2019, the zoo extended its operating agreement with the Chicago Park District through 2049 and committed to remaining free to guests. Pre-pandemic, the zoo welcomed 3.4 million visitors annually, making it one of Chicago's busiest and best attractions. Thanks for listening to today's episode about the Lincoln Park Zoo. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Tommy Henry. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd sure love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I have links to a number of books and other items related to this subject and other parts of Chicago's amazing history. If you or someone you know is a history nerd like me who would like to learn more. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. So great! He can be found at AngelEyesArtJKS on Instagram or via email at AngelEyesArtJKS at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in. Maybe check out the zoo and stay safe. <laughs>